If you have kids, particularly older kids, you will resonate with what I'm about to say. I am in need of new glasses. These ones are four years old and scratched up. They've got a scratch right in the middle here that I think makes me cross-eyed sometimes. And I'm just cheap and didn't feel like doing it. And so finally, I ordered some, some try-on-at-home glasses, Warby Parker, if anybody's used them before. And uh, so I got my five frames yesterday in the mail, and I go out and I get them, and I try on one pair, and it's like, nah, it's okay. I try on another one, and uh, one of my children, who shall remain nameless, looks at me and says, ooh, I'm getting real pop-pop vibes there, Jimbo. <laughs> and pop-pop is my dad. He's a little older. Hi, Dad, if he's watching. And I was like, oh, man. Like, isn't that how it is, though? From the highest heights when you first have kids, and they're like, you're Superman, you're the greatest. And then eventually it's like, "Mm, just no, Dad. Like, right? Today, uh, I want to dive back into this Gospel Family Tree series we've been going through to look at a a guy who has, goes from the greatest of heights to losing everything after his death, and that is King Solomon. We're continuing to look in the series through the, the, the genealogy of Jesus that Matthew lays out for us, sort of setting where Jesus comes from and what I would argue where we come from as well, which is where we've been going with today. So I'm hoping to sort of center us in that story um, and talk about uh, the coming of Christ at the end of it. But if you Remember in Matthew 1, verse 5, this is a little bit down into the lineage, we know that Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, who we heard about several weeks ago. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, right? So we have famous King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. So we have another woman named in this genealogy, another woman with kind of a conflicting story, as it were, so much so that Matthew, I believe, doesn't name her because he wants to, he wants to remind us of the story that happened with King David. So in Solomon's background, right, so it says here, David gives birth to Solomon by Uriah's wife, who was Bathsheba. Maybe you've heard of Bathsheba before, you've heard this name before, if you've heard anything from Scripture. We know that in this story, David sees Bathsheba bathing from out his window of the palace, and he says, I want that, and he takes her. Ends up having this adulterous affair with her, has her husband killed in a line of battle. They lose their firstborn child, and eventually Solomon is born to Bathsheba. This adulterous relationship, total brokenness, leads to Solomon. And David eventually is, is you know, as he's king, he, he gets older and older, and he's, he's weakening in strength, and he knows that his time is coming to an end, and he is put into this position where his one son, Adonijah, is, is vying for the throne that he's going to take from his father, so much so that he actually starts rallying troops, and he starts rallying people to himself And Bathsheba and a prophet come to David and they're like, no, 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 you said that Solomon would be king. You better name him king right now. And so David says, okay, God is going to anoint Solomon as king. Take him off and anoint him. And he gets his own prophet and priest that go with him. And and they anoint Solomon to be over the kingdom of a united Israel at this point. 
So he's taking leadership from his father. He's assuming the reign of King David, which I tried to press on us last week how important his reign was. And then before he dies, David talks to Solomon and commissions Solomon to build the temple. Now, if you remember, the tabernacle of God has been just traveling around through the desert at this point, the Ark of the Covenant moving with the people. And David is commissioning Solomon saying, now I want you to build a temple where God's presence, where the Ark of the Covenant will come to rest and will be in Jerusalem. You're going to build this massive thing. It comes out of 1 Chronicles 22 if you want to look up that story. But it's this monumental task that he's giving him to build this huge, ornate temple. It was so important to David that he wanted to do it. And God said, no, it's not for you to do. You've got blood on your hands. I'm going to have your son do it. I will be a father to him, and he will be my son. And Solomon, his name actually is related to the word peace. Shalom, you hear it in there, Solomon. His name means peace. And and what God is telling David is, I'm going to give him rest. And the people are going to have rest around him. You're a man of war, David, and a man of bloodshed. In Solomon, we're going to have peace and we're going to have rest. He's going to be the one that's going to build the temple. And I'll be a father to him and he will be my son. And so Solomon is starting to assume this throne. He's tasked with this monumental thing that was so important to his father to build this temple for God. So I think in, in the beginning of, of his reign as king, he goes and he starts offering sacrifices to God. He's trying to worship God and he's saying, God, please help me. I, I don't know what to do here. And God comes to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I struggle with choices when someone offers me like a huge gift card. I don't know. I, what could I get? What could I do? You know, like I just, anything's open to me. The blank check. Like, what could I do? And, and God comes to Solomon and says, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you here at the beginning of your ruling? And Solomon says, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom to rule with, with justice, with righteousness, so that I can bring shalom to the people, so that I can bring wholeness. That's what shalom means, this this wholeness, so that I can bring peace to the people of Israel. You see, Solomon, I believe, in his humility, he, he knew his limitedness. He knew his inability to do what his father had done. He's like, I can't do that. I'm just, I'm young, I'm inexperienced. I God, give me wisdom to know how to rule and reign the way that you want me to, the way that my father would have wanted me to. I gotta build this temple, I gotta rule these people. Give me wisdom to do that. And God answers. But I would just lesson for us here right from the beginning is that he knew his limitedness. He knew his inability. He knew his weakness. And he's coming to God in humility and he asks for help. And is that not at the root of the gospel? Is knowing our limitedness, knowing our inability to save ourselves, saying, God, I need help. Help me. Is that not a mark of humility? And I think God honors that in Solomon's life, by granting him wisdom. God honors this desire for wisdom. Look at me at 1 Kings, 1 Kings 4. We'll put it up on the screen there for you. I'm gonna jump around today, so don't panic about getting to all of these. If you don't, it's okay. Trying to cover all of Solomon's life in one talk, all right? So just, we're gonna jump around. 1 Kings 4.29, God gave Solomon wisdom very great insight 
and understanding as vast as the sand on the, she- uh, the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater. Now he's going to name all these people that this crowd would have known. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East. Where'd the wise men come from? The East, right? Greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. Think about how strong Egypt is in history. He was wiser than anyone. Wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, you know him. And Haman, Calcol, and Darda, sons of Mahal. His reputation extended to all the surrounding nations. Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs, many of which we have, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about trees from the cedar in Lebanon to the hyssop growing out of the wall, meaning the, the temple wall. He also spoke about animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. Emissaries of all people sent by every king on earth who had heard of his wisdom came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Now, I know we look at that, we're like, oh, cool, he's talking about plants. This is an ancient world. I do truly believe that God granted him wisdom to understand zoology and plant life, and and he's able to just expound upon these things. God granted him his request for wisdom. So much so that people are coming from foreign lands to hear about it. They want to hear this wisdom of this man. There's rumors going around the world through trade about who this guy is back in Israel, back in this small little country. We need to go to hear from him. And God grants him this desire for wisdom. But if you read on, you see that earlier, this, that, that, that God, beyond wisdom, gives him two other things as well. God says, because you asked for wisdom and didn't ask for wealth or long life, I'm going to give you those things in addition. I'll give you wealth and honor. And I will give you long life. But what's fascinating The text wants us to see over a couple chapters that God is saying to Solomon, I will give you long life, but it is contingent upon you following me, keeping my statutes, walking in the covenant. Not, again, we think obeying the law perfectly. Within the law was grace. Remember, there was was a sacrificial system for sin. It wasn't like, be perfect and therefore I give you long life. It was like, no, 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 trust me. Trust me, is what God is saying, and I will give you long life. And what he wants Solomon to really know is that, Solomon, you are building this temple, and my presence will come and dwell there, but it is not, the temple is not needed for my presence to be with you. It's you walking with me and me walking with you. That's where my presence is. He makes it very clear when he's building the temple. You can build this temple, but if you're not following me, it ain't going to be there. He says, wisdom leads to following me. Following me leads to my presence walking with you and being with you. Psalm 16 says that you reveal the path of life to me. At your right hand are pleasures eternal. saying, in your presence is life. But he's saying, to have my presence means the wisdom of walking with me, seeing things the way that I do and trusting me. Solomon goes on to write a proverb that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you hear? Like, there's always this thing of, like, right placement before God, knowing who I am, humbly knowing who God is. Like Dana prayed, you're God, I'm not. That type of humility, gospel humility, leads to God's presence walking with us in our lives, which is, I would argue, the eternal life, the full life, the complete life, the full life. So Solomon 
builds this temple, builds this massively ornate building. And you can read about it in Kings. It's beautiful. They're bringing in stones and block work from, from all over the place, precious metals and woods. And if you, you know, if you picture, like if you were to picture a stone castle from the Middle Ages, you know, you picture this like dark, stony wall, damp, you know, like just, ugh. He would line it with wood. He lines the temple with wood, floor, ceiling, walls. It has this warm texture to it, coats things in gold, jewels on things, fancy chains. Like it's ornate. It is beautiful. It's huge. And they have all this wealth that they have gathered from conquering other nations. And these emissaries are coming and they're bringing them wealth. And it says, in the treasury were hidden all these treasures of gold and precious jewels. And so you can, you see it's like classic king stuff, right? Big buildings built. He builds a palace for himself. He builds a palace for his wife. As we'll see, he ended up having many more wives. I don't know, he, like, I don't know what he did for them, but I know it says that he built a palace for his wife. And he builds this massive temple and God's presence, it says, in multiple places says, comes and dwells in fire and in smoke. God's presence comes and dwells fully there. At the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence just comes raining down so much so, so dramatically, the glory of God's so strong that the people can't do anything except fall down and worship. Again, I think you and I would do the same thing if we saw this. It'd be, it'd be like sheer terror and sheer joy. And isn't that what the presence of God is? Again, humble joy, life in his presence leads us to go, holy cow. This is something far different than anything I ever expected. Holy, holy, holy. God's presence comes and dwells in the temple strongly because of what Solomon was leading the people to do, which was to worship God, and because he's built this temple for where God wants to dwell and be the centerpiece of Israel's worship. And so... The text goes on to tell us that all of this acclaim is starting to raise up for Solomon. He's building this massive temple complex. People are sending emissaries from around the world. And then we get this story that this foreign queen comes and visits him. The queen of Sheba, not just a cat food. The queen of Sheba comes to meet Solomon. Look at me at 1 Kings 10. The queen of Sheba, or I'll say this right now, Sheba is disputed as to where this is. Some would say it's southern Arabia, Yemen, Horn of Africa somewhere. Maybe it's Ethiopia. There's a tradition within Ethiopian culture that the queen of Sheba is from there. The queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's fame connected with the name of the Lord. You hear it? His fame connected with the name of the Lord and came to test him with riddles. She came to Jerusalem with a very large entourage, with camels bearing spices, gold in great abundance, and precious stones. She came to Solomon and spoke to him about everything that was on her mind. So Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too difficult for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba observed all of Solomon's wisdom, the palace he had built, the food at his table, his servants' residence, his attendants' service, and their attire— his cupbearers and the burnt offerings he offered at the Lord's temple, it took her breath away. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your words and about your wisdom is true. But I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceed the report I heard. How happy are your men or 
How happy are these servants of yours who always stand in your presence hearing your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God. He delighted in you and put you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to carry out justice and righteousness. I think we have this testimony about the queen of Sheba just to see the greatness of Solomon, but really the greatness of God working through this man's life. And the result of this is that, is that she, she hears about this and she makes this incredibly long journey, no matter where you put it on the map, she makes this incredibly long journey to get to Jerusalem, to be with Solomon, to meet this king of wisdom, and to worship. And the end result is that she blesses God. Blessed be the Lord, your God, who's done this because of his love for Israel. And she proclaims how great it is to be in his presence. How happy your servants are, she says. How happy your servants are because they're hearing wisdom from you. They're getting life from you, through you. How happy they are. And so Solomon is at like just this, this pinnacle. So quickly, I think it's four or five years into his reign where all these people are coming to worship him and he's building these massive things and he's rich and he's got power and there's rest in the country and it doesn't take you very long to see what happens after that. Israel's third king, I was going to say second, third king, Saul, David, Solomon, pinnacle of their rule and reign. The rest is there in the land, shalom, temples, buildings, food, gold, jewels, everything's great. People are coming from all over to worship us. This is amazing. And Solomon blows it all up. In his hubris, he started in humility, and now he's operating in hubris. And we see that he, he, goes along, he goes on from there to abuse his people and abuse his power. We see that he ends up marrying, it says, 700 women and 300 girlfriends. He could just visit when he wanted to. Somebody called them side girls this week. Did I hear that? Okay. It's messed up. Again, all characters in scriptures are not there for our moral example. All right? Just... Let that filter into your reading of Scripture. He works so hard to build this temple that he starts working the people to build it. Oh, it turns out this is what God warned the people would happen if they got a king. He's going to work you to death. He's going to tax you. Oh, we just want to be like the other nations. We want somebody to fight for us. And here you have Solomon, perfectly at rest, working the people to the bone to build all of these things. He starts worshiping his wives, his many wives, gods that they brought in. So he's got foreign women in the, in the mix now who are bringing in other gods and idols, and he's going to worship their gods on these high places, some of whom sacrificed their children. That doesn't say that Solomon did that, but did he? The wisest guy still makes the grossest of mistakes. Eventually, God says, not very long after this, I'm taking the kingdom away from him. I'm taking the kingdom away from him. Now, I won't rip it out of his hands while he's alive, but it's not going to last through his sons. And we see that Israel quickly enters into this period of good king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, sometimes good king, exile. And the result of this is that the temple is destroyed. And God's presence leaves the people of Israel. 
Friends, this Christmas, what we celebrate is the coming of Jesus. The better King David and the better King Solomon. Jesus, who is born the Prince of Peace, born to give his people rest. What a monumental task that is, trying to give this ragamuffin group of people rest and peace from all of our brokenness, from all of our striving, from all of our pain. If you remember Jesus, who did not have a home, there was no room in the inn for him, is born in a stable, leaves the wealth of heaven the treasury that is all of the wealth that was at his disposal in heaven and comes to earth, basically a homeless man. And foreign kings come to worship him in Bethlehem, bringing their gifts to him to see his glory. You know, not too long into Jesus' life, when he's a young boy, his family travels on a pilgrimage to worship God. And it says that on their way home, they realize that Jesus is not with them and they go to find him. They go backtracking to find him and they find him where? In the temple. And he says, I had to be about my father's business. I will be his father and he will be my son. In Matthew 12, as Jesus' ministry goes on, he's, he's doing these miracles and he's he's breaking the law, they think. And so the Pharisees come to him and they're like, hey, why don't you give us a sign? Give us a sign that you're allowed to do these things that you're doing. And he says, no sign will be given to you except for Jonah, who was just like he was three days in the belly of a whale, the son of man will be three days in the belly of the earth. And I'll give you the sign of Solomon as well. He says, because one greater than Solomon is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment against you, he says, someday. He's bringing back in this story that the queen, he's saying the queen of Sheba, she got it. And someday, like the Ninevites, like the foreigners, like the queen of Sheba will rise up in judgment of this generation, you Pharisees, because you don't get it. He says one greater than Solomon is here and you're missing it. He's saying, guys, find wisdom. Find a greater wisdom. Find the deeper wisdom, the real wisdom that leads to life, that leads to peace, that leads to rest, and it's found in Jesus. He's saying, it's found in me, the greater Solomon. And what New Testament writers see in this is that Jesus is God's wisdom for us. That he is for us. That is this great wisdom and God and his planning and his strategy makes Jesus in his wisdom, wisdom for us that leads to salvation, that leads to rest. He's saying, get wisdom. And it's Jesus, the better Solomon. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul lays out this great argument talking about um, just wisdom and foolishness in the world. He's, I just want to read a couple verses from this that encapsulate some of it. He's saying God, early in the on, he's saying God has this different wisdom that looks like foolishness to the world. 
Like, this is foolishness, friends, that our king would be born such a loser in a stable and go on and die on a cross. It's foolishness to the world who's looking for a powerful king who will fight our battles for us. Verse 26, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful and many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption in order that as it is written, let, no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Friends, the cross is foolishness to the world. It looks nuts. It looks silly. But in it is God's wisdom for us to save us, to be our sanctification, our salvation, our redemption, and our future kingdom as well. Our eternal life is all wrapped up in the cross and the resurrection. He's saying this is God's wisdom for you, and it means life. Find it. Come to it humbly and say, I need help. Colossians 2. Paul is writing a letter to this church at Colossians. He says, For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery. Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in God's mystery. That is Christ, God's wisdom for you and for me this Christmas. And where Solomon acted like God and used his wisdom foolishly to serve himself, Jesus was God is God, and shows us that his wisdom is found where? In dying to self, in loving the world, in washing our feet and our whole selves through his cross, in living out covenant faithfulness that Solomon didn't do, that David didn't do, that all of the kings broke eventually. Jesus is the good king, the better Solomon, that lives out the covenant faithfulness that God was after. He lays aside his splendor, his majesty, and his wealth. Why? To give it to us, us foolish people, us ashamed people, us no-named people here in the Nazareth area of Pennsylvania. He says, it's for you. He laid it aside so that we could inherit it, so that we could have it. Solomon just wanted it all for himself. Although he was rich, for your sake, he became poor. That's what we remember at Christmas. And he does this monumental task of dying on the cross to do what? To open the temple up to us. You remember he dies on the cross and the curtain is torn, meaning there's no longer a separation between not just Jews, also Gentiles, most of us, and God's presence. And by doing this, he says, 
you become the temple. I'm going to give you the spirit so that God's temple comes and dwells in each and every one of us who call him Lord. This is the wisdom of God for us. He makes his home in our hearts. Friends, that's more than just a childhood simple prayer. Jesus, come into my heart. It's wisdom. It's wisdom. It's wisdom. And it leads to life now and forever. So here's my question for us this Christmas, this Advent. Are you gaining wisdom through Jesus? Are you trying to find it elsewhere? Are you trying to find life, honor, wealth, glory? Are you trying to find it elsewhere? Our accolades, our performance in sports, our competitions, our jobs, our advancements. Are we trying to find it there? Or are we coming to the feet of Jesus as happy servants saying, I'm glad to be in your presence. Give me your wisdom. Lead me into full life. Are you trying to find the wealth, the honor, the life in the new covenant of Jesus? Like the queen of Sheba, (laughs) making the effort to go before Jesus. Making the effort to make the journey in humility to say, all right, teach me. Tell me something new. Tell me, tell me, tell me. I want to learn. So that the end result, we get to boast in Jesus. Not in ourselves, not in our church, not in our good deeds, We boast in Jesus, who is God's wisdom for us, in whom is the wealth of knowledge and wisdom. Friends, this Advent, we remember that Jesus is God's wisdom for us. And through him, he has given us his indwelling spirit. And we look forward to the fullness of God's wisdom coming in person, the temple on earth, as it were, again someday. This is why Christmas is always this dual thread of remembering what happened the first time and longing for the second time. In the meantime, we gather at the feet of Jesus saying, give me wisdom and give me life. I want to read the words from the last song that we're going to sing as I did last week to sort of set the stage for us. We're going to sing a classic, one of my favorite hymns. Be thou my vision. And read these words, and then we'll sing together. It says, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor vain, or man's empty praise, some versions say. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. High King of heaven, High King of Heaven, great term. High King of Heaven, my victory won. May I reach Heaven's joys, O bright Heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Friends, would you stand and pray with me?